scripture today will be found in Psalms 77, 11 through 15. I'll remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also of thy works and talk of thy doings. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great as our God? Thou art the God that doest wonders. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people. Thou hast with thine arm redeemed thy people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. Well, we got to thinking about sacred rhythms. We as a church don't keep the church calendar such as larger Christendom is concerned to a very great extent, perhaps a little more so than some Adventist churches. But over the centuries, masses and liturgies have been developed to reflect a sense of sacred time. Certain seasons being more important than other seasons. And certain activities being built into those seasons to remind us of times of feast, and times of fasting. And the disciplines of Christendom are woven in through those, those times. And it may well uh, do us well to talk about or reflect on that calendar sometime, or perhaps to experiment in, in using it. The risk that Adventists have seen in that sort of thing, of course, has been that you fall into a stupefying routine that comes not to have the depth of meaning for you uh, that might otherwise be there. But I think there's something uh, lost when you ignore it altogether as well. And the other thing that made me think about this uh, topic for today was my time in Columbus. We had a wonderful woman there, Marsha Prager, a rabbi from Pittsburgh, and she talked about several things, sacred time and sacred eating. And she was talking about Sabbath specifically. And she had some very interesting ideas about sacred eating. We usually think of kosher and these impossible to understand rules and symbols that are on our foods that even the kosher community doesn't agree upon. Uh, some will use uh, stuff with the U and others will only use stuff with the, I don't know, the underline or whatever, you know, K. Uh, there seem to be different standards even among conservative Jews as to what, what constitutes kosher and how they're going to live the rules out. And of course, as you probably know, so many of the rules all depend on one text. Do not boil a kid in its mother's milk. That has application to most of us today, I think. Goat farmers, anybody? Okay. So some of these things seem to be lost, and yet... I don't say that to mock people. I say that because there's an awful lot of effort that goes toward this. And we put our own efforts sometimes toward certain things that have to do with old connections, old understandings. And I wonder if there's a way to understand these somehow anew or afresh. Because one of the things that I'm learning as I age, one of the things I'm learning as I st continue to study and grow is that certain things we do have very little meaning in the context and time in which we do them. 
But over time, the repetition of doing them inculcates something deep within us that grows and blossoms and emerges as a spiritual thing. Anybody had that kind of experience? I mean, some of you can tell fantastic stories of opening your Bibles. You were in crisis or something and you entreated God and you flipped open the Bible and there was this passage and it spoke to you and it was magical and it was a wonderful answer and God got you through a very critical time through this this text and how meaningful that was. But don't tell me you've started to read the Bible from cover to cover and not quit. Don't tell me that you've started to read the Bible from cover to cover and found it all interesting. You were drooling and asleep on your desk four passages in on some places, weren't you? Okay, did the pastor just say that the Bible is boring? If you leave with that message, I'm going to say you badly distorted today's sermon. What I'm saying is is that it's not all equally interesting, is it? Particularly if you don't know much about the section you're reading. And yet, we know that if we persist in reading Scripture, if we persist in memorizing it, the Word of God is like a seed planted in us, isn't it? And it grows to something beautiful and something productive. Have you had that experience? You see, the disciples... Well, let's back up way before that. Moses receives the Ten Commandments, does he not? And what is it written on? Stone. Now, we could read all sorts of things into that. Inflexibility, uh, permanence, um, whatever you associate with stone and writing. But God outlines ten commands. You know them well. Israel didn't know them well. And they hadn't observed them well. In fact, they were broken before Moses ever even got to camp with them. God had to do it again. But over time... Exposure to this basic law, this basic revelation, moved from God providing a people a set of rules to a covenant which read, I will write my law on their hearts. Do you see the profound difference? Do you? It's one thing to be handed a table of stone and told these are the rules. Right? And it's quite another to live from an internal sense of moral and spiritual obligation and truth that mimics the Ten Laws. So I thought we could reflect for just a few minutes on remembering and other sacred doings. And they were alluded to in the text. Thank you for reading that so beautifully. These kids are gorgeous, aren't they? I will remember the deeds of the Lord, the psalmist says in 77.11. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. So David starts with this passage. Well, he has much else in this psalm, but this particular segment. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. He's in distress, by the way. This is a time of difficulty for David. 
And he's entreating the Lord. And he stops and he says, wait, I, I need to pause and remember. Now, one of the rules that I just talked about that eventually becomes written on the heart says what? You know? starts with remember. Remember the seventh day to keep it holy. Six days will you labor, but the seventh is the Sabbath. So embedded in the original ten is a rule that says remember. But the habit and practice of remembering moves it to something else, doesn't it? It moves it from rule to blessing. It removes it and moves it from command to joy. It takes something external, the practice of ceasing. By the way, we are terrible at that. We're terrible at ceasing. Think about your day and think about the practice of ceasing. You are... Unusual if you can find 20 minutes of nothing in your day. And if you have 20 minutes or more of nothing in your day, hold on to it and bless you. You see, there's a connection between remembering and doing. And the rhythms of life that we engage at first from a superficial standpoint, that eventually do a deep, deep work within us. So David is going through this difficult time and he says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles even of long ago. The Old Testament, even the New, but mostly the Old, we find the habit of altar-raising. And I've mentioned this before. We sing it in a song in a very funny way. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Hither by thy help I've come. What does it mean to raise an Ebenezer? Isn't that a funny set of words? But it's reference to this place where an altar is erected to commemorate what God has done. If you go to your concordance, and anybody can, almost all of you have them in the back of your Bibles, and you look up altar, especially if you have a comprehensive concordance, you'll find over and over and over and over and over again the mention of people building altars. And Noah built an altar to the Lord. And Abraham built an altar to the Lord. And David raised an altar to the Lord. And all through the Old Testament you find altar raisings. Did they not have a place to worship? Was not one place as good as another to sacrifice? No. They raise altars because it becomes a point of sacred remembering. Here is where I encountered the Lord in a special way, or the Lord spoke to me. Here is where something remarkable in my spiritual journey took place. Remembering and the way in which that helps us. I will meditate on your works and consider your mighty deeds. We don't talk about the discipline of meditation much. But here the psalmist is saying, I will think about the work of the Lord. 
what He has done. And if we think about what the works of the Lord that are celebrated in Old and New Testament are, what are they? You know them, you know them cold. Start with the first one. I can't hear you. Creation, absolutely. God is praised because He's the Creator. He's the source of all life. He's the foundation of everything that is. He's the one who takes chaos and makes it order. He's the one who speaks and it is. That is the fundamental reason that He is remembered and praised, for He is the Creator. What's the second one? Israel particularly praises God as Creator and Deliverer, the one who takes them from bondage. Where? In Egypt and gives them a land flowing with milk and honey. And by corollary, we celebrate in the Christian context deliverance from sin and death in the sacrifice of Christ. Is this right? We praise God for His creative power and His redemptive acts. Those acts in which He's moved in our lives collectively, historically, and personally and redeemed us or redeemed an event or redeemed a situation. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Hither by Thy help I've come. And I hope by Thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Powerful words of the journey that we all take. The psalmist says, What God is so great is our God. You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people. The descendants of Jacob and Joseph. Amen. Creation. Redemption, mighty acts. When we remember the work of God in biblical times, the work of God on the grander scheme of creation and redemption, when we remember God's mighty acts as recorded for us, and most importantly, really most importantly, when we remember the way He has acted in our own lives. Something important happens. We lived in a very Hasidic, Orthodox neighborhood for a period of time in L.A., two years. Had a wonderful family living next to us with tons of children. Brennan, being an only child, was in paradise now with many opportunities. If he offended one, he had another and uh, if one was too young, another too old, another was just right. And so with this family, there was lots of interaction. I particularly remember one day where one of the boys was calling Brennan rather ugly names. And Brennan started chasing him and snatched the yamulka from off of his head. And I remember the indignant response that came from the boy and the family. For this yarmulke was to remind them always as a symbol of the presence of the living God. Well, I'm no fool. I said to the child and to all listening, I said, you should not be surprised that you're not wearing a yarmulke. For if you were aware of the presence of God, 
in your life and in this moment, you would not have been calling my son those names. At which point it got quiet and the yarmulke was returned. But I was impressed, nonetheless, with the daily practice. Yes, it it could lose its perspective, its meaning. Actions didn't always match up to the outfit. This is... This is the the dilemma that we face, isn't it? We put priests in robes and expect them to be other than human because they wear the sacred cloth. And yet we all fall short of the glory of God. But I will say of the practices that I observed of the Jewish people, varied as they are, that they are many and multiple acts of remembering, of sacred doings, of feasting and fasting, of putting on the shawl of prayer, of wearing the yarmulke, of remembering God's presence, of having the tassels of the tzitzit that they wear, the phylactery, and having that Ability to touch that and sense something in it. The prayer cushions. And I'm not saying that we need to look or act like them. And I'm not saying that we need to fall into step with our Methodist or Presbyterian brothers and sisters and do what they do in the course of a year. But I would challenge and ask each of you, what are those sacred doings that you do, those rituals, those things that you embrace as an Adventist and as a person that will develop in you a sense of God's purpose and presence in your life? What is it that you remember that will develop in you the ability in a tough time like the psalmist to say, ah, but I'm going to remember the greatness of our God his creative power, his redemptive acts, and his mighty acts of miracles. I'm going to recount my history. I'm going to remember who I have come from. I'm going to acknowledge the power, even in the present silence, of the God that I love. Is it the singing we do? Maybe the texts that you've chosen to memorize? the reflective readings in devotional materials, inspired works, your alone time with God in which you look at a text and reflect primarily on what maybe God is, you're hearing God say to you in that day. Maybe it's a family tradition of lighting a candle on Friday night or taking seriously the idea that while it's a lot of work to prepare for Sabbath, maybe sacred space and sacred time is somehow worth holding or preserving. Maybe you keep a diary and you journal prayers and you journal answers to prayer and you journal moments of remembrance of God's saving grace, of His stepping into your life or place and time and doing something unexpected. 
Maybe it's the discipline you embrace of learning to see Jesus in the people that you meet and to treat them as if they were the Son of God. Maybe it's the power that you tap into when you seek first the kingdom and the spirit and live out your life through that. Sometimes I think in our hurry and in our pace of life and in our drive, in this time in which early mornings give way to late nights and activity has filled every minute, in this noisy world in which we live, have you noticed how noisy this place is and how noisy people are? Cars vibrating next to your car with noise. People listening to things constantly. No offense to some of you, but I go to your homes and your televisions are on 24-7, not because you're watching them, but because you have to have noise. And I'm not standing here in judgment of you. It's We're all addicted to the pace in some ways, to the noise. Become noisy people. And when you're noisy, there's no time to pull back. There's no time to reflect. There's no time to listen. No time to remember. No time to put on that shawl and enter into a different space and rhythm and routine in time. There's none of that. Only the race we run. So my challenge to you today, given our text in the Psalms, given the hard times we inevitably go through, each of us, the challenges to our health, to our well-being, to our financial stability, to our spirits, the challenges to our friendships, our families, our marriages, our relationships, our children, the challenges to our health, the challenges to the life that we live, are they met with remembering? Are they met with other sacred doings? Do the things that we engage help us live and thrive through those times? I'm working on that myself invite you to work on that yourself. We as God's people take seriously the obligation to remember and to engage in sacred doings which as we do them may not seem all that important or may not seem specifically all that meaningful but over time might really help us develop an inner sense of God's workings, His power, and His presence. Does that sound worthwhile to you? That perhaps we can come to be a people who refuse to let time collapse completely who remember a day of joy and rest, 
who remember the activity of God in life, who make space for relationships with God, with family, with one another, and who, because we do so, have spirits that are alive and well. I think Kaiser borrowed this from Paul, but nevertheless, dear people, go and thrive.